and to fill it up. It, we have gotten used to preaching with nobody here. And so the last couple of weeks when a few of you were here, it was like, oh, I have to get used to it again. And this morning we had one service already with about 20 people. We're going to continue to do that. And that service is going to be at 830. We'll do that as people are trying to get comfortable getting back into uh, the routine of being in a crowd. And so we'll continue that service for several weeks. And then we'll do the live streaming of this service. So welcome those of you who are watching us at home. Uh, we're glad that you joined us as well. What we're going to be doing this morning is following our similar format to a normal service, but typically like a Sunday night service. The kids will be in here, and in the course of the song service, we're going to be dismissing them to junior churches. And uh, so all of those youngsters, except for nursery, should be in here. If you have a three- or four-year-old that typically starts in the back room, they are by themselves. Uh, so you want to get back there and collect that child before they're totally tra- traumatized. And uh, join us, and then we'll dismiss them. Uh, in the early service, we already did one of the videos, uh, one of the children's church videos that was put out. Uh, I went out at 9 o'clock this morning, but we also showed it in the morning service. And that is one of the God is that Pastor Tony has done. If you haven't viewed it, you want to. They eat bugs in that one. Uh, just as a warning, parents, okay, and he makes a disclaimer. He's not promoting it. But I don't, his upbringing is something to be questioned. Um, so we had that service that went well. We're not going to start evening services until two weeks from now. And in that mode of trying to get prepared for that, we are more than interested in getting other people to help out and volunteer for nurseries, for some of the children's ministries. We've had a lot of folks say, hey, we're so anxious, we're so anxious to get things up and running. Well, we're getting them up and running, but we can't do it without your help. So if you're able to give us some assistance in those areas, please let us no, let me give you a couple of prayer requests. If you have a pen or pencil, write that down. You at home, mark it down as well. We want to be praying for some of the individuals in our church family beyond just our government and the leaders and ministries that we're going to be doing. Uh, somebody stopped by the church early this morning and said, hey, just a question. Are you doing Bible school this year? And one of the folk who sent them time and again, if you hadn't heard, we are not doing Bible school. It was supposed to start within two weeks. And what we're doing is something different that in just a few moments we'll share with you. Pastor Tony will come and give that announcement, but we're not doing our on-site Bible school. We're going to do it in a different fashion this year. But pray for those ministries and other things. Uh, Do keep some families in prayer. Pray for the bishops. As you know, we mentioned already that Becky is at home under hospice care and doing well, Um, but there's a time frame here that the doctors are giving and they're in hospice care, so pray. The Lord has worked it out in a wonderful way that the daughters are able to be home and be with her, and uh, so the Lord's giving great grace to the family, and they they seem to just be doing well in that circumstance and going through it. And if you're watching this morning, bishops, we love you. We are praying for you. A lot of folk here have been asking even today how you're doing, and they extend their prayers and their concerns and their love to you. Um, so keep the, keep the bishops in prayer. Would you continue to pray for the Viramontes family? This past week we did the funeral for Joe, a 29-year-old young man, and passed away this uh, suddenly here in the last week. And so if you pray, that is Sandy Basalge's grandson. Wendy Viramonti's son. Uh, so if you would pray for them. Carol Barker asked that I mention prayer for her. She is having knee surgery tomorrow. Larry Lewis had had a heart episode. It was in the hospital. They put a stint in at home recovering. Uh, if you would pray for Dan Brandt. Uh, Dan is having follow-up tests being done at John Hopkins and, and finding out spots that are on the nose following up the cancer that he's had. So keep him in prayer. And Sterling Tobias asked for prayer as well as he is waiting for a uh, hip 
replacements. So other things that are going on this morning, another video went out. If you're here this morning and did not see it at home as well, there's a video that went on the third uh, session on the wilderness wanderings that is going through the book of Numbers that Pastor Art is doing, also a kid's presentation. So parents, if you want to see that, or kids here this morning, if you want to go home and view that, that went up at 9 o'clock at noon. A message is going up the, uh, for the evening service in lieu of it, and it's going to be the sayings of Christ. It is from Matthew chapter 7, the wise man and the foolish man, and so those things are covered. Let's talk about the Bible school. Let's tell you a little bit of what we're going to be doing and where we're going with that. Our Bible school, as Pastor said, has been adjusted this year, but we are excited to put something into your hands that you can use to help your children bolt towards faith in Jesus Christ. And it's material that as we looked around, we were saying there's a lot of things out there, but what can we put in parents' hands so they won't feel like they have to do a ton of work to try to, to buy a number of materials, to put in all the effort? There's a company, Go Curriculum, that has put together a Bible school that you can do by pushing play on a YouTube video. We've adapted some of their materials, but we are very confident in their faithfulness to God's word, leading up to a very clear gospel presentation at the end of their time together. Bolt is designed to be shown to your kids over a three-day period. Each video is about 20 minutes long, but there's times that you're encouraged to just pause, go out and play a game, or to talk through the lesson to try to help your kids connect the truth of God's word with the application that they need for their life. These videos are going to be available not on our website, but on our YouTube channel throughout the month of July. What's great about this is that it's very flexible. So anytime during the month of July when you find that you might have three days or, hey, we're going to squeeze all three lessons into one day, that's up to you. It's very affordable. When they put their games together, they were thinking through what might parents or families have on hand at home that they could use to play these games. And just because they play a game a certain way doesn't mean you have to do it that way at your house. And then it's very, uh, like we said, faithful to God's word. So we want to get these materials into your hand. We want you to be able to access this Bible school at your convenience in your home. But the only way you'll be able to do that is by contacting the church office. Some of our agreement with the curriculum company that we're purchasing this from is that we only have this available for a certain amount of time. That we limit who has free access to it. But the access to it is free to you. And then if you know others who would be interested, maybe their church isn't doing something and you have questions, can they use this as well? Just contact us, let us know. But uh, there'll be more on our website starting July 1st. And then at the end of July, we're going to take it all down. But between now and then, any questions you have, please don't feel afraid to ask. Pastor? Let's, uh, this morning, let's do some scripture reading together, have a word of prayer, do some singing, and get into God's word. Join me as we read this section of scripture from the book of Psalms talking about the greatness of the Lord. Let's read out loud together. Hear my voice, O God, in my meditation. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the rebellion of the workers of iniquity. All men shall fear and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider his doing. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and trust in him. And all the upright in heart shall glory. Father, we thank you for this privileged opportunity we have. After weeks of being unable to get together, here we are this morning able to gather with a good number of folk here in sight as well as a number watching at home. Thank you for this this privileged opportunity to be able to sing together, to be able to read together, to be able to study your word. Thank you that the kids will have ministries. And for those who are willing to instruct them this morning, that we pray that that would all be extremely beneficial. We pray for our country. We ask that you would give our leadership wisdom. We pray for peace 
and that the chaos and the, and the lack of common sense would be stifled and that there would be a, a peaceful quietness that would come across the land and that we would be able then to minister with effectiveness to all peoples, all races, all cultures. Father, help the Word of God to have preeminence in our hearts, our minds, our mouths. We pray for some friends who are going through difficult times. We pray together right now for the Bishop family, that you would strengthen them, help them, encourage them. Thank you for the blessings of even the girls being able to be home for this extended period, for Don being able to have this this time off of work for an extended time. And thank you for the, the wisdom, the grace, the help that's being provided by other family members. We pray that you would also bless with the Newtons as Barb is in her cancer treatments. We pray as well that, Father, you would bless with uh, the mans and you would also help with Larry Lewis and his recovery. We pray for uh, Dan Brandt as he is going through even further testing. We pray that you would continue to bless with Carol as she has that knee surgery this week. And, Father, I pray that you would give patience to Sterling and then when the surgery for the hip replacement comes that he would have a good surgery and a speedy recovery. We thank you for the abilities we have to be able to sing, help our voices to blend together in worship of you, and to help our spirits to be drawn closer to you as we sing of your goodness, of your grace, of your kindness. And help us to get much out of the Word of God this morning, to be challenged, to be encouraged, to draw closer to you, in whose name I pray. Amen. Let's sing together about our hope, our rock, Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness fails, trust in him day by day.
that sweet trust that we have has allowed us many days and every day, hopefully, to go before the throne of God in prayer, coming to him with everything we have. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong on Christ. We know who he is. Even through the most trying of times, we can always say that he is always and only good.
good. You are only good. You are always good to me. Though my eyes can't see how my heart believes, you are always only good. And as we prepare our hearts to go before the Lord, our prayer to him is that today he would speak to us through his word and that we might take that word and obey it in all aspects of our life. We have a junior church ministry that is for the youngsters three years of age all the way through grade six. Would you please go that direction? All the youngsters, you're going to be divided out in the foyer to your various spots. I would head out the back foyer. Pastor Tony's in that area. He's going to meet you over there and get you divided down. That is for the youngsters three years of age through grade six. While they are being dismissed, would you join me here in the auditorium and at home? Let's take our Bibles. Let's head to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. 
the book of Colossians chapter 1. If you try to drive around a building, you're going to see something that's happened over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we thought we had it addressed here a couple of weeks ago. We opened up a sinkhole over in this area. And it was partially under the driveway. When they opened it up, they found out that there was a cavern 15 by 15 by 15 feet. And so they came in, they worked on it, and they thought they had it all taken care of. We have called them yesterday and said, you need, on Friday, you need to come back because the sinkhole is starting to open up again. If it's like anything that's happened when we've had them here in the property in the past, we may have to have them back a couple times until they get down and they dig down deep and they get to what they call the mouth of the sinkhole. And then they finally find the real problem, get it solved, get it, you know, the rock or the cement, whatever we have to put in there to get it sealed up so that then they can build upon it. When we come to church like this, when we come for worship, sometimes we are like that sinkhole. We've got things that are going through our lives that we've got to dig down deep and find the root problem, get it solidified so we can build upon. The book of Colossians is designed with that in mind, that the writer of Colossians is writing to the people because they have a problem. They have a sinkhole happening in their life and in their church. It's some false teachers coming in. And it's affecting the people. And so Paul is trying to dig down deep, get to the heart of the problem. And we're going to get into it more and more of the heart of the problem. But what we said last week is we want to do is just take our time getting into it because the book is so rich. There is so much. I mentioned last week that oftentimes when our travels, we would fly over the Grand Canyon on those missions trips to Arizona. But it was really nice when my wife insisted that for vacation one time, we actually stopped and looked and got on the brim of it and were able to really take in the Grand Canyon in a more uh, visible sense and enjoy it much deeper. So I'm going to slow down as we go through the book of Colossians. And rather than just do it quickly, I want us to get on the brim of the canyon of Scripture and really take in what's there, to look down deep into it. So we have been moving really fast. We've gone through the first nine verses, eight verses, nine verses over the last couple of weeks. And today we'll really cruise and get through two more. We're in Colossians chapter 1. Let me set the scene for you. In the book of Colossians, he is writing, and as he's writing to these people, he starts off praising them. That's in the first eight verses where he writes and he talks to them, and he talks about their faith, their love, their hope. He talks about how that they've been growing since the very time that they heard the salvation message, they heard the first word of God. But he's going to make comment, I know you have room for improvement. That's where he takes them to his prayer. And the prayer is basically the whole sentence is from chapter 1, verses 9 through verse 14. Let's read it. You follow along as I read together this one whole sentence here. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, to desire that you might be filled with knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of our Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, while giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins." And so in this section, Paul is going to say, I'm going to pray for you regularly. And he talks about what he prays for. We talked about it last week that Paul wasn't making a cliche phrase. When he said, I'm praying for you, he truly meant it. 
He personally prayed for him. He repeatedly prayed for him. He pointedly prayed for him. And he's talking about that whole idea that I'm praying for your spiritual needs more than your physical needs. Not that he ignored them, but the first and major prayer request was I'm praying for your spiritual needs. Good example. Now, we talked about it last week. If you joined us or followed online, you saw that. Where we want to remind you is where he goes with the complete prayer. He first of all, as we looked at last week, he prays for their wisdom. Because he knows they need to improve in this area. What we're going to look at today is what he prayed about secondly. And that is their walk. That they would walk worthy of the Lord. Verses 10 and 11. Then verses 12, 13, 14, he prays about their worship. That they would continue to worship Jesus Christ. Let's focus on 10 and 11. And even that, we'll, we'll, we won't get through all of the, what's there. There is so much material to dig in and areas in our life to dig out. What he talks about, he says, I'm, we are praying, we are desiring. That word pray and desire are both very emphatic words. Desire is we are, we are almost demanding, please, begging with, with a superior and saying, please, 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 something we greatly, with intensity, we are desiring of you, that you walk worthy of the Lord. What that doesn't mean is what some people would confuse and say. What Paul is implying is, I'm praying that you would walk in such a way that God would just want to give you his mercy and grace because you're such a good, good person. Well, we know that's not true. God looks at us and he sees in us no good thing. God looks in us and says that there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We know that that is a truism. So for Paul to be saying, I'm praying for you, Colossians, that you would walk in such a way that you would deserve to be saved. We know that's an impossibility. We know that that's just not true. That can't be done. Because we know the Word of God says that there's nothing we could do to earn grace. If, if we could earn grace, it wouldn't be grace. If we could earn mercy, then it wouldn't be mercy. It would be a payment. And the Bible says very clearly, not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing and renewing of the Holy Spirit. We know that he said that, not, that for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we know that that's not what Paul is praying about. He's not praying when he says walk worthy that you live so you deserve to get into heaven. He's in the, making it very clear, Jesus' comments, that, that none of us deserve to get into heaven. Remember this time when he told the parable? There's the Pharisee, there's the publican, they're praying together. And the Pharisee stands there and says, Oh, I thank you that I'm not as bad as that person. But that bad person, the publican, is praying, God, be merciful unto me, a uh, sinner. And then remember how Jesus closed it out? He says, those who repent and admit that they are sinners... He says, that man went away justified to his own house, the one who was repentant. We don't work our way into heaven. That's not what Paul is praying for. Paul, that's, that's just not there. Anybody who thinks they're going to get to heaven and God is going to give them a check or a ticket to saying, here's for all your good works, you deserve to be forgiven. My friend, that's a check you cannot cash in heaven. You, none of us will get that ticket, none of us will get that check, and God wouldn't even acknowledge it. Salvation is by grace and grace alone when we repent and come to Christ. So is Paul saying, I'm praying that you walk worthy, that you come to a point of perfection? Now, mind you, this is what the Gnostics were teaching. This is what they were hearing in the church, 
that you need to come to a place where you are sinlessly perfect like us Gnostics. We've gotten such good knowledge and we, we who, are, who have discovered deep truth, we have come to a point where we don't sin anymore. That's not what he's praying for because that's an impossibility. We know that Scripture makes it very clear that we all need to keep on growing, keep on growing. He's writing to these people and saying, I'm so glad that you've grown, verses 3 and 4, but you need to grow some more. Paul even made comment in his own life, we saw this last week, where he says, I have yet to apprehend that which I've been apprehended. He says, I still, I strive, I keep on going. Save 30 years, an apostle. He still knows he has room to grow. So do you, so do I. We all do. So what is he actually praying for? When he says, I'm praying that you walk worthy. And by the way, if we're going to pray this way for one another, we better understand what we're praying about. So if I'm going to pray that you walk worthy, if you're going to pray that I walk worthy, if we're going to pray our kids walk worthy, what, what exactly does it mean? I would phrase it this way. I'm praying you consistently. You consistently live in a way that fits your claims of being a follower of Jesus Christ. That you walk worthy of the name of Jesus Christ. He said it different ways in different epistles. He said, be worthy of the gospel. Walk worthy of the calling. Walk worthy of God. It is the idea that you would live in such a way that you would live up to the calling that he's put upon your life. The calling of being a Christian. That you would live up to the grace of God that came in the gospel. That you would live in such a way that you are worthy. You are matching what God has, de has determined for your life. And so this whole concept, if we understand it, he's talking about your lifestyle. That word walk do doesn't mean this. It means how you live day in and day out. He uses it through scripture many times where he talks, walk before me blameless. Not just in the physical ambulating, but the idea of in everything you do. He talks about it in Deuteronomy, that you walk in the ways of the Lord. He talks about it in Psalms, about how he will not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly before him. In fact, Ephesians talks about how when before we were saved, we walked according to the course of this world. It's your lifestyle, it's your speech, it's your conduct, it's your interactions, it's how you do business, it's how you, you study, it's how you treat other people. It's your lifestyle. It's you. It's your character. It's your reputation. And he says, I want you to walk as you progress through life and as you grow. I want you to walk worthy means to weigh the same as the calling of God, as the gospel. I want you to walk worthy of the Lord. One of, one of our grandkids, my wife, picked up at a garage sale one of those little scales because the grandchild wants to be a scientist when they grow up. So they're learning how to weigh things. And that first day they got it was, okay, let's weigh paper. Let's weigh different, different beverages. Let's weigh things to get them so that they're even on the scale and they balance out. He is saying, I want you, who claim to be Christian, to live in such a way that, hey, your Christian life really is equal to what a Christian should be doing. You are walking, weighing the same, worthy of the Lord. And so he's making this comment, and he adds to it, unto all pleasing to the Lord. The word pleasing has the idea that I have invested in you who are a musician, you who are an athlete, and I am supporting you, and I am financing you who are a concert leader or a poet or an artist, and you are performing in such a way that you are living up to pleasing my investment in your life. 
whether it be music, whether it be artwork, I'm your patron, and you are pleasing in all, do, in all that you do to my investment. Walk in a way that God is saying, I invested grace in your life. I forgave you. I call you my child. And you're walking in a way that you're living up to that reputation, that standard, and you please me. It's, it's like, you know, the times where you and I, we, we may have been in some of those situations where, where we have to make a decision of who, to, who we're going to please. And he said, please me. Now, before I go any further, let's pause. And let's think through an implication here that I haven't mentioned yet. The implication is clear that verse 9, the, the, don't, don't think I'm trying to be silly. Verse 9 comes before 10 and 11. Granted. Verse 9, he prays for what? This is a test if you listened so far and if you listened last week. The wisdom. So he's in verse 9 saying, I'm praying you know the will of God. Then he adds to that, after you know, now I'm praying you do the will of God. Do you understand something very important here? This is extremely challenging. He is saying that it is important for us to understand truth. Not just to get about our, our Christian life, but to learn. What am I to do? How am I to act? Oh, I want to get in there and we're going to do marriage and we're going to do kids or we're going to do career. Find out from the Word of God how you do that. Oh, we're going to do finances. Find out from the Word of God what does that involve. Find out from the Word of God what work is according to Scriptures. And then say, okay, now that I know it, now I need to live it. He is making it very clear that Christianity is practical, not, not the idea of theoretical. It's, your Christianity is to be carried with you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not just a thing on Sunday. It's to impact your entire life all week long. It's to be with you at school, at work, at play, entertainment, or, or hobbies. He says you need to know what God says, and then you need to do what God says. It is not enough for us just to believe were to behave. Now, this is different than the Gnostics. The Gnostics came into the church and said, as long as you know, as long as you learn, that's all there is. You can live any old way you want as long as you have the deeper knowledge. There's Christians who teach this too, so-called Christians. That as long as you go and you know the Ten Commandments, as long as you know the rituals, as long as you know certain people, then however you live the rest of the week makes no difference. That is not what the Spirit of God is saying in this verse. The Spirit of God is saying, you not only need to know, you need to live. What, he, what he's challenging me and you is, we need to learn to analyze. We need to learn to be able to, to discern how things are to work. What is the will of God? But it is more than just discerning where is error, where is truth. We need to live out what we know. In other words, it is more important than you coming to church and learning something. You have to go out and live it. You have to walk away with something that you are going to put into practice. We Christians are not to sit and learn deep truths only. So fine. We go to Bible college, we go to seminaries, we learn all kinds of truth. But if it doesn't impact our lives, if it doesn't make a difference in how we do family, how we do finances, how we do worship, then what good is the learning? That's what Paul is talking about. That's what the Spirit is saying. Fine, well, I might be able to discern what is right and what is wrong. And I can, and I can critique 
other messages and other preachers and other, and other standards. That's good. I'm supposed to do that. But what good is it if I don't do what I'm supposed to do? What good is it if I have this knowledge and this, this understanding of truth and error, but I never witness? I don't pray. I don't help others. I don't visit the widows. What good is it? That's what he's telling the Colossians. You need to not just learn, you need to live. You need to follow the teachings. You need to combine two really important elements. These are the basic food groups, right? Chocolate and peanut butter. They are the major food groups that keep us sustained. They are both high on the list. Low is coconut. High, chocolate and peanut butter. You put them together, you got a wonderful, wonderful melodious candy bar. Put faith and knowledge together. And you've got something really sweet. Something nourishment. But if you don't have, if you have this faith, but not living it, he says that type of faith is dead. That's the gist of what Paul is praying about. That's where he's going. There are some people who are all about thinking. John Dewey was one of the greatest thinkers in the early 1900s. Philosopher, uh, education reformer. He was known that whenever things would come up, he wouldn't answer right away. Good, good practice to think before you speak. He would be quiet. He would ponder situations. Sometimes he wouldn't speak for quite a while. Sometimes he wouldn't give answers. But he was well respected as being very, very scholarly. One day he's at home, and while he's at home, all of a sudden one of his children, his younger boy, came yelling from upstairs, Dad, Dad, come up here quick! Well, it was obvious by the boy's voice that there was a tragedy or crisis going upstairs, so he ran upstairs. And the boy's pointing into the bathroom. And so Dewey ran, Dewey ran to the door, and he saw the problem that a, a pipe had ruptured and the bathroom floor was flooding. Well, he met, went into his pondering mode. Let's got to think this through. What do we do? He was pondering it for well over a minute when the older son came running in and said, Dad, now is not the time to think. Now is the time to mop. Listen, friend, there are moments we need to mop. And in our Christian life, we need to respond. Well, that's what he's praying for. He is praying for their spiritual progress to grow in the area of where they're pleasing to the Lord, walking worthy. But the rest of the verse tells us, how does that look like? Now, here's what I'm praying for, that you walk worthy of the Lord. How do you know if you're walking worthy of the Lord? How do you test if you're really doing it? Is it enough to say, well, I think so. Our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We might convince ourselves, oh, I'll compare myself to other people. Comparing ourselves amongst ourselves is not wisdom. So we take the word of God, we hold up the mirror of it this morning, and say the rest of this verse, what does it show us? What is walking worthy really like? How does it show up in your life? It's more than knowledge, it is action. What action? What, what, what is it exactly? Can I give you the characteristics that are in the rest of this verse? Of really walking worthy, number one, it's focused. It is focused. Walking worthy of the Lord, you adopt this as your focus unto all pleasing to God. That whatever I do, does this please the Lord? 
examining in all areas. Does it please the Lord? This is the will of God, that you please the Lord, according to Ephesians 5. And so in that, you ask yourself the question, am I pleased? You know how when you go to a program, parents, grandparents, and the kids are up there and they're doing their, their concert, their play or whatever, and they're your family member, and as they're up there and they're doing their thing, they know you're sitting right over there. And while they're doing it, they kind of, you know, and then they look, and then they, you know, give you the high sign. They are so interested in pleasing you, making sure you're paying attention and that you are pleased with what they do, that sometimes it distracts them from what they're supposed to be doing. You and I are to live like those children that are putting on a performance before Jesus Christ. And we are saying, am I pleasing you? Am I doing my very best? Are you smiling? Are you clapping? I dare say that many people like the Colossians who claim to be Christians stop doing that. They don't even think about it. They go through an entire day without pausing to think, the way I handled business today, did that please God? The way that I'm handling this conflict with a, with a coworker, does this please God? The way that I am responding to my parents, is this pleasing God? In fact, we are so good at just forgetting about the Lord that we don't even think, we don't even keep this focus. Does it please God? But walking worthy starts with a focused attentiveness. Do, am I pleasing God? Is this what God wants me to do? And not just once in a while, but he's talking, and the verbiage that he used, he says, walking worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing is the idea of over and over. This is what I'm doing moment after moment throughout the day. I am pleasing the Lord. I am pleasing the Lord time and time again. How would that look in your life? You who are businessmen, would you in your business, you're trying to make money, which is the reason you're in business, which is not wrong, but what is your primary goal? Making money or pleasing the Lord? If it were pleasing the Lord, would it change the way you do some of your businesses and some of the ethics you practice? For some of you who are interested in dating and getting to find some significant other, is your ultimate goal pleasing the Lord in this relationship or impressing that other person? Because if it's just impressing that other person, you might do things that don't even please the Lord. You'd, what about parenting? It is easy as a parent to all of a sudden make it my goal that my kids please me, that they do what I want, that they satisfy me. But if my goal is pleasing the Lord as what I do towards them and teaching them, their ultimate goal is to please the Lord. That would make a difference in our parenting. Teenager. Pleasing the Lord or impressing your friends with the way you talk, with what you do, how you dress. If it is pleasing the Lord, would you stop some of the jokes? Would you stop some of the viewing? Would you, would you curb some of the remarks you make? See, that's what we're talking about, is not just hearing and saying, yeah, that's the scripture, that's good. But going out and living it. And saying, I'm walking worthy of the Lord to a place where I am focused. I am pleasing to the Lord. It is fruitful. A walk that is, that is seeking to walk worthy of the Lord is seeking to be fruitful. And in the verbiage of it, it's very clear. And you may want to write the words. He says, I'm praying that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing while being fruitful. Literally. While being fruitful in every good work. 
The idea is that you are producing the good works that God says a Christian should produce. Good works. What are they? Honesty, integrity, graciousness, purity. Good works. Kindness to others, visiting the widow, the poor, charity, forgiveness. Good works. Correcting somebody who's going astray, reaching out, giving out the gospel. Training up the children the way we should go, submitting to my husband, respecting and loving her in a way that makes her to be the queen of the household. Good works. At work, working in such a way that that I'm not trying to be a man pleaser, but I keep on the same good ethics, the same good effort, even if the employer is standing there or not standing there. Good works. Being fruitful in all these areas. You know, you know how this works, that sometimes you go to different areas of the, the country, go to Hawaii, and you walk into the hotel, never been there, but you go to the hotel, walk in, and they'll put a fruit basket or some welcome basket that identifies what that area is really famous for. So you go to Hawaii, you get a fruit basket, go to Washington, they might have the apples there. You go to, Ch- you go to Hershey, chocolate, okay, because it's the fruit of the area. You come to Lebanon, and what do you get? Bologna. You get bologna, okay? Yeah, just what I wanted, bologna and bologna. We had a friend, relatives, our friends, I'm sorry, um, Tony's in-laws come from the Midwest, and when they were here last summer, uh, I had, it was my day off, so I had some time, and they said, you know, I offered and said, I'll take you around, and I'll show you the sights of Lebanon. Three minutes later, when it was all done, <laughs> it was like, okay, what do you want to do? They said, this is the one thing we want more than anything. We want to get something that is really from this area, and it's like, uh, bologna? They said, oh, no, we don't get it in the Midwest. We want some of this opera fudge that's made in the city. Now, now you're hungry. I've lost all of you. I know. And I, and I love opera fudge. It's really good. The last time I had it in volume, somebody gave me a pound of it. I ate it within an hour. was sick for days afterwards, but it was so good. It was so good. This is what God is saying. You are from the realm of Christianity, Show off the fruits of your territory, your citizenship. Show that it is constantly in your life what a Christian is. To be the light in the darkness, to be the salt upon a a corrupt world. Portray Christ-likeness, Christianity. Show the fruit that it is just coming out of you. That people know, oh, you belong to the Christian faith. You are a follower of Jesus. It's just, it's the fruit. It's the fruit. Is that true in your life? Is this the way you live? Let me just pick on the Galatians passage, the fruit of the Spirit. We read in the text about this is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Okay, let's take that fruit. Is that characteristic of what you, how you act at work, at home? When you get into a conversation about current affairs, meekness, long-suffering, well, now you're meddling because you're getting where the rubber meets the road because I get so angry with what's going on in the world. Don't we all? But we're still within the realm of Christianity to bear fruitfulness of Christ-likeness when we interact with people. That's what he's saying. This is walking worthy of the Lord. Walking worthy is one where you have a focus. You're going to please God. Walking worthy. And you know what? Just to throw this off. 
He doesn't say walking where you're worthy of God, you have your hair cut a certain way. You wear a certain color of clothing. You have a certain, you know, garment. He doesn't say that. He's not talking about the outward. He's talking about the inward person. And he gets even more pointed and he meanders into our, into our lives, digging up that, that sinkhole to say, I got to get down to the problem. The problem is a lot of us haven't even come to the conclusion that we need to be focused, pleasing the Lord. That we need to be fruitful on a regular basis. We need to be furthering, if you want Fs, learning, furthering. That you increase in the knowledge of God. This is, this is walking worthy. Walking worthy while you're pleasing to the Lord, while you are increasing in the knowledge of the Lord. That's the participle. That this is characteristic of walking worthy. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Can I ask you the point of question? When was the last time you purposed to increase in your knowledge of God? That you said, in my walk of faith, I am going to do a Bible study on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to examine the doctrine of Christ a little bit deeper. I want to know God. For many of us, we studied in the past and it's enough. But this text is saying constantly increasing in the knowledge of God. Learning more and more and more about him. And it's that epigonosco is the idea of something real intimate. Becoming an expert. Not just getting a peripheral knowledge of, yeah, I know God wrote the Bible. Go deep. How did he do it? Go deep. How does the spirit come and work? Go deep into the word of God. What is the will of God? How does he portray that for you? How do you know the word of God is the word of God? How does God respond in the middle of crises? What does he do? For some of us, we never went deep in the book of Job until a few months ago. It's too hard. It takes too much work. You better believe it. Getting, the, getting to the mouth of the problem of the sinkhole, it takes work. But he is saying, this is what walking worthy of me is. You put effort into learning more about me. And it's not just left to a few like the, the, the Gnostics were saying. Only a few can know God. Do you know you can further your knowledge of God? You can get to know him more and more. There isn't, there isn't this plane, this level, this, this criteria, this caste system in Christianity that only a select group can really get close to God, and then the rest of us are way down on the line, and we can never really grow beyond just that caste system level. Not in Christianity. In Christianity, every single believer in Jesus Christ can become closely intimate with God and abide in Christ. What about you? Is that characteristic? It is if you're walking worthy of the Lord. That's what's supposed to be in your life. You're progressing in your knowledge, in your intimacy, in your closeness with God. Are you closer to the Lord now than you were a year ago? Ten years ago. It should have multiplied by that period of time. This is walking worthy. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about focused, fruitful, furthering, and then being fortified. Being fortified while being strengthened. While being strengthened, he says in verse 11, starting it off. This is where he really gets to meddling in my, in my sinkhole of my life. 
I don't like what he says because it's too convicting. But whoa, is he pointed. He says, I want you to be growing in the sense of, in the sense of being strengthened unto all patience and long-suffering. Oh, now, let me explain the wording. While being strengthened with strength. While being empowered with powered. While being enabled with enablement. They're the same words. The same words. Starts the phrase, ends the phrase with the exact same word. But different, different styles of writing it. So you who are walking worthy, you are being strengthened constantly with strength. You are being empowered with power. And he makes it clear that it's not within ourselves. It is from an outside source. You don't hype yourself up. Oh, I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to resist temptation more. And work yourself to a frenzy. This isn't like, you know, getting psyched out before a game. This is spiritually becoming so reliant upon the Spirit of God that He is strengthening you. Because you and I can't sustain this. We cannot sustain strength to be patient in long-suffering with joyfulness. None of us can do it. Yeah, some of you have been to the uh, Smithsonian. You've seen this. The Gossamer Albatross. It flew over the English Channel. And it was such a feat at the time. A guy who was in this bicycle mode, self-powered, 15 feet above the water, went three hours, got across. The, and, and I look and go, wow, that's phenomenal. That's great. So, of what value is that? Oh, they're going to mass produce them and this is going to be our travel in the future? You know, me, I could get the Gossamer Albatross up and maybe to the edge of the driveway. Maybe. It took a professional bicyclist that much strength and power, and he was exhausted after that short distance. So I'm going to fly to Michigan to see my grandkids on that thing? Impossible. In this text, he's saying it is impossible for you and I to maintain Christianity in our lives by relying upon ourselves. But there is an unlimited supply. The next phrase. Being strengthened, he says, over and over with all might according to his glorious power. The word that he uses here shows up 12 times in the New Testament. 11 of those times, it's talking about God's power. One time, it's talking about Satan's power. Point being, the power he's talking about in this text comes from supernatural source, not a human source. You are being empowered with his glorious power. There is no limit to God's power. There is no limit to what the Spirit of God can give you to be able to do what's right. The God's, God's enablement that he enables you with to resist temptation, it doesn't do what our phones do and die at the most inconvenient moment. God's power is a limited source. God's power and strength, it's, but it's manifested in this text in a very special way. When God empowers, he says, I'm praying you walk worthy and that you're walking worthy in such a way that you're being strengthened and strengthened and strengthened and God's power is in your life. How is that going to be seen? He says specifically how the power of God is revealed in your life. Hey, hey let's, let's look at what he's talking about. Unto all patience, long-suffering with joy. Wow. That's 
the mighty working of God? Can I suggest this? When we think of the Old Testament miracles, we run to the Exodus and say, Whoa! The water opening wide. Great miracle of God. Yes, okay, we'd give that a 10. He is saying in this passage, here's another 10. Another 10 is the reality of people learning to stop grumbling and complaining. David, going against Goliath. And we'd hold up the scorecards. 10! Wow! God's power! When David is fleeing and Shimei is standing on the sides and throwing barbs, verbal barbs at him, David doesn't take revenge. That's a 10. It's a 10 when you all of a sudden show patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Don't underestimate what God considers to be a phenomenal feat in your life. Having patience literally means being able to bear up under the problem. Being able to be secure in a difficult problem, you don't quit. You don't give up. It's the idea of being attacked militarily. You courageously hold the line. You don't stop. It's the idea of steadfastness. It's the idea that you don't give up. You don't quit. That you don't stop. Right? By perseverance, the snail made it to the ark. Let let me rephrase it this way. Some of you have seen the film. You watched it, The Chariots of Fire. It's about Harold Abraham. He's an Olympic gold medal winner of 1924. That he won the Olympic gold. And it's about you know, the conflict with his faith and Sundays and things like that. The first race he's running is portrayed. He's confident. He's a great runner, sprinter. He's going to win the race. He doesn't win. And when he's standing there next to the, the grandstand, his girlfriend's up in the grandstand, and they're, they're verbally exchanging conversation over a distance, and he is to tears that he didn't win the race. And he makes this comment. He makes the comment, he says, if I can't win, I'm not running. Her response is phenomenal. If you don't run, you can't win. Friend, if you quit, if you stop serving the Lord... There is no well done, thou good and faithful servant. So Paul prays, and he says, I'm praying that you have patience. I'm praying you have long-suffering. Totally different realm. The word for long-suffering for long is to put away wrath. The one is how you deal with problems. The other one is how you deal with problem people. And I dare say we all within this room can probably think of somebody that may irritate us. Some of you right now have just list, your list has just gone exponential. That somebody has irritated you. They might be in public office. They might be in your work office. They might be somebody at home. They might be somebody at school. And he says, I am praying that you have self-control when you deal with people. It might be your spouse. It might be your kids. It might be your parents. It might be a sibling. It doesn't make a difference. He's saying, I'm praying that you show Christian character even towards those people who upset you. This is the strengthening of God, that you have character and grace towards people that irritate you. That's what he's saying in this text. He doesn't say, oh, I hope you have the power of God to go out and defeat a myriad of demons, to cast down the walls of Jericho, to throw up that sling, you know, and and knock down the giants. He's saying, no, 
I, this is where real power in Christianity is, that you're gracious, self-controlled, that you don't lose it when the problems and the pressures come, that you are relying upon the Lord and walking worthy of Him, seeking to be focused, seeking to learn of Him, seeking to please Him in all things, even when it is a really difficult moment or a difficult person. And I think he's meddling. And you know how this gets? Do you ever have people that really irritate you? By the way, if you don't recognize the picture, it's Winston Churchill. He was known in, in the history as being one of those bulldogs that whatever the problem was, he faced it. As the prime minister during World War II, Great Britain, he rallied the people, could deal with the problems. They didn't defeat him. You know, that speech, never, 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 never give up, that type of fame. But he had a weakness in his life. His weakness was personal relationships. If you read his biographies, if you look at the films, you know, there's personal relationship problems that he didn't deal with people kindly at times. There was one person who is a real nemesis in his life. Her name is Lady Astor. You can read about these. You can get on the internet and it'll talk about tremendous royal battles in the British leadership between her and him. She was a great critic of his. And it talks about a couple times, a couple occasions that it really came to forefront. They're at a, they're at a state dinner reception of some sort and she is irritated with him and she wants to embarrass him publicly. So there they are in this public gathering and she loudly calls out and it's probably absolutely true. She calls out, she says, Sir Churchill, you are drunk! To embarrass him. He looks at her and calls right back to her. He says, Lady Astor, you're ugly. And in the morning, I'm going to wake up sober. They're at a banquet. And they're at this, this state meal. While they're at the state meal, she loudly makes this statement across the table to him. If you were my husband, I'd give you arsenic to drink. If you were my wife, I'd drink it. <laughs> we can laugh. And it is funny. But this whole issue of not dealing with people right is not funny at times. Moses had great patience when dealing with Pharaoh. But the ones who got under his skin were the believers, quote-unquote, the Hebrews. To the point that if you remember, he lost it with them. And he strikes the rock and it costs him to get into the promised land. He that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is a broken down, broken down without walls. That's you. That's me. If we don't handle problems and problem people the right way. We are not walking worthy of the Lord. We fail Him. We need to be focused. We need to be fruitful. We need to be furthering our knowledge of God. We need to be fortified by God. That's how we walk worthy of Him. That's what this text is talking about. It is talking about when people upset us that what we do is we seek to say, God, I am your child and I'm going to act like your child. I don't care what they say, what they do. I am going to act like your child. I don't care if it's a Christian in the church who's frustrated me. I am still going to act like a child of God because I am a child of God. 
A guy in the business who is a born-again believer wrote about an experience. He's walking through the office. Here comes a lady. She's coming towards the same door. So he opened up the door. He held the door back. He didn't realize she was a feminist. She was the type that was very verbal. I certainly hope you didn't hold that door for me because you think I'm a weaker creature. His response, no, I held the door for you because I'm a gentleman. We are to be Christian. What we're our character, no matter what others do, what others say. That's how we please the Lord. Bring it together. He adds, and he had just stopped there. But then he adds this on top of it with joyfulness. I'm not only supposed to not over, be overcome by problems. I'm not only supposed to be self-controlled with people. I'm to do it with joy. Now, I, I could handle it if it were just, you know, keep the, prob- keep the going in the problems. You know, don't respond. But I'm to walk away without mumbling and grumbling and critical in my spirit and just letting them have it in my mind. That's what he's saying. He is saying with joyfulness, that idea of having a rejoicing spirit, not grumpy, not angry, not critical, not lashing out, not saying, oh man, I got to put up with them. But rather, Lord, what are you going to do in this? How are you going to mature me? How are you going to mold me? The ability to overcome natural inclinations to be negative. Natural sinful inclinations to be critical. That's what he's talking about in this text. I am praying that you, that you would walk worthy, pleasing to the Father, even in your relationships with other people that drive you nuts. Challenging. God's power in difficult situations. God's power to help us to be grateful in difficult times. It's easy to talk about it. Those of you who have listened here this morning, it's easy to listen, but it's going to be so difficult when you walk out this door. It's going to be so hard when you go to work tomorrow. When you renew those issues, those challenges. Will you purpose in your heart to walk worthy of the Lord this week? Will you say, I want to live up to this text. I, w- I want to really portray Christ. Pastor, I'll close with this. Pastor's talking about visiting a young man. Grew up in his church. Young man was there as a teenager, young adult. This young man was rather spoiled by his parents. So he expected that everybody else in the youth group would do what he wanted. Very seldom reach out to others. It was more, you have to reach out to me. Very seldom did he engage others to find out how they were doing, but he sure was interested in talking about how he was doing. As he got to be a young adult, he still didn't become others-centered. As a young adult, it was very clearly impatience with others who didn't please him quick enough. Impatience with family who didn't do for him enough. He ended up having an accident at work. The accident was serious enough that he was infirmed. He was laid up for an extended period of time, a lot of burns. And during this time that he was recovering and going home, he was really at the whim and the desires of other people because he couldn't do for himself. The pastor came the one day, and he hadn't been there for a bit, and the young man, he noticed something. The young man said thank you 
to his sisters and his mom when they came in and they did something. And that wasn't his typical response. The young man was patient when he asked about something being done and it wasn't delivered in time. And he just responded, that'll be okay, it'll arrive. That was not his typical response. The young man was appreciative when the nurse had stopped by and was going to change and he was very thankful, complimented, asked about her, her family, what's going on. That was not typical. As the conversation was extended, the young man said to the pastor, he says, I really wish God would work a miracle and heal me. The pastor responded and said, I believe God is working a miracle and healing you in ways you don't expect. It was from the inside. Can you look at your life and see a growing difference from where you were a year ago? In how you treat people, how you respond to situations? Can you see in your life where you are magnifying the Lord more than what you did a year ago? You are purposing to do it. You are practicing it. If not, let's do this, this week when we walk away. Let's assign ourselves something to walk worthy of the Lord. Because if you don't live it, what good has it done to learn it? Walk away this morning with something you assign yourself. That say, okay, this, this week, maybe this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for myself and my family to walk worthy. Maybe this is it. I am going to make it my goal this week that what I do... I am going to stop regularly. I'm going to set my phone, my, my something to remind me, does this please the Lord? And purposely work at trying to please him more and more. Purposely work at learning something more about the Lord. Purposely making it your goal this week, showing patience, showing long-suffering with joy. This is what, God, this is what I want you to work in my heart this week. This is how I want you to strengthen me. I want to portray my Christianity as not just a Sunday thing, but I want to make it an everyday part of my life where I am walking worthy of you. And this is how I'm going to do it this week. Now, if you're here this morning, you're listening to me at home. The place you have to start is, first of all, if you haven't started, you have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You aren't even a Christian until you repent of your sins and ask Christ to forgive you of your sins and to give you eternal life. If you have never done that, then that's the first step. Lord, I am unworthy. Forgive me of my sins and give me eternal life. Start a new work in me by giving me the Spirit of God. Whatever your need is right now, not just because this is the thing to do, but right now, let's pray. And when we pray, you pray. You pray, God, this is what I'm going to do. Strengthen me so I can walk worthy of you better this week. Father, by your grace, I pray. Help us not just to be learning the word, but help us to live it this, this week. Help us to grow in grace. Whatever the application, whatever these folk right now are saying to you, those listening at home, Help them, help them to be livers of your word, lovers of your person, individuals who have learned and will follow truth and show them the great strength work that you will do in their lives 
as they experience the power of the Spirit to grow in grace. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for my friends listening even at home. Help us to magnify Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.